mixed or culture or conversation or interaction between different people it's very important now especially now this is unplugged a series of conversations with creative minds from the design industry and beyond hosted by hnh Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of uh, H&H Unplugged. We have the great, great pleasure today to be here with uh, Yoko Choi in connection with us from Amsterdam. Yoko is a creative personality, first of all, uh, in uh, her role of uh, editor of Wallpaper uh, Global Edition in China, part of the collective Contemporist and many other things. Uh, good morning, uh, Yoko. How are you doing? Hi, I'm great. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, Yoko, I would like to start our interview with a personal question. You were born in Hong Kong. Still, you have a strong connection with the Far East because of your position in uh, Wallpaper magazine. Uh, but now you live in Amsterdam. What was the reason of your move to Amsterdam? Was it a personal one? Was it a professional one? Yeah, it's, uh, I think the reason might not be as inspiring or as uh, special as you, you, you might thought. I actually moved with my boyfriend. My boyfriend is German and we met in Hong Kong. And um, yeah, at some point we thought uh, it might be a good idea to move back to Europe and to try to have a life here and to experience the culture, etc., Luckily, very soon, he got a very good opportunity in Amsterdam, and then we decided to move. Yeah, it's been already seven years now, and um, I'm still spending my time here and half of my time in Hong Kong and China as well. So I'm always constantly moving. But of course, in the past couple of months, the reality changed a little bit. We both have to be here full time and this. A new experience for me. Being in Amsterdam, but still being very much involved with the business in the other side of the world, is I assume that the technology is helping you a lot, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. I would say, um, although I couldn't be in China or Hong Kong uh, like physically, but I still like talk to my colleagues or talk to my collaborators every day. I mean, and if you if you know the working style in 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 China or Hong Kong, we use. A lot of messaging, WeChat, and all that, and with with that, you basically you're connected with everyone anytime, anywhere you want. And I, I think because of the uncertainties and also the change of pace and work style and so on, I think um, people actually are more opened up or more willing to start new conversation. And everyone is trying to do something new and meaningful and inspiring so there are more talks or more discussion over wechat and everything so i guess in a way i feel still very close to them so this thing has maybe caught off guard more the old european world than uh, the uh, <laughs> other eastern world <laughs> no i think uh, everyone is uh, zooming or I don't know, all, all these uh, different platform and different way of communication. And it's, um, it's nice. It's just, I think it's, it's useful. It's very helpful for sure. But uh, how I still don't know how it will replace or ever be able to replace the physical like person to person interaction and, and so on. So it's still... I'm like observating and and trying yeah. out different things. Yeah. 
kind of experimental, we'll see. Um, I, I mentioned in the introduction the collective contemporist. Can you tell us about uh, about that more in details, your, the, the values, uh, the goals? Yeah, so collective contemporist is a creative consultancy. I start with uh, my partner, well, my business partner, Morris Lee, around the end of 2018. And uh, Morris is based in Beijing, so well, I have to say I haven't seen him since uh, January this year. But uh, well, he's half American, half Chinese, and he grew up in Hong Kong. Part of his uh, childhood was in Hong Kong, so we kind of speak the, the same language. I mean, we, we both have a um, very um, international outlook and understanding of uh, the, uh, the, the local Chinese culture. And um, we actually met um, in 2016 when he was working on a very special project in Beijing. He was um, building uh, one of the first um, local homegrown hospitality brand in, in Beijing. And um, at that time, he approached me to ask me to do to help him with uh, international communications and to fill in like uh, content in his space. So that's how we met. And um, through the work done together for that project, we, we saw a lot of uh, um, similarities or and opportunities in, in in China that we can together build something there about um, the idea, the central core idea of collective contemporaries, there are three aspects that, um, three primary goals that we want to achieve. So firstly, we want to create a platform for creators or brands or, or um, international organizations or people in the creative industry or the cultural industry to um, enter China, to give them a way to uh, reach or connect a co an audience in China. And um, as I say, it can be designers, architects, we have been working with a lot of um, brands as well to help them to um, um, organize events or um, to identify opportunities in China for them, to help them to translate the message, not only in language, but like the, the way of thinking or, or the message that they, they should spread uh, in, in China. So that's one thing. And the second, second thing is to develop the platform to nurture um, local talents from China to basically is to give them opportunities to present and to talk about their work and, and ideas and messages in a more global uh, uh, condition, which I think there are not a lot of opportunities for them yet. And I don't think uh, generally speaking, there are not a lot of international platforms or media outlets that are focusing or has a special interest in uh, Chinese creativity or Chinese design yet. There are many reasons around that. Uh, we can talk about it later. But um, I think in general, the Chinese creative scene is just underrepresented or unseen in a way. Absolutely. So we want to create um, that opportunity for them. And then thirdly, we want to build a local community of people who are passionate and um, love design and looking for new lifestyle for, for their environment or for the culture in China. And for people that want to learn more about contemporary design because it's still quite new topic in, in China. In, 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 in a general uh, public level. So by doing this, we want to um, create more um, 
exchange and conversations between Chinese uh, audience and uh, international audience. And through all this exchange and, and conversation and material, we, we want to define uh, what this Chinese contemporary design. And we try to, we want to try to uh, define what um, Chinese contemporary lifestyle is and what, what we can contribute in, in, a, in, in a broader sense. And of course, also to help the industry to grow, business terms, of course, um, the market, and more importantly, to expand our global footprint in culture and design and everything. So these are the three uh, main goals that uh, we want to achieve through this uh, creative agency. And so we launched, um, we officially launched um, Collective Contemporist, uh, uh, this name, uh, with an um, initiative uh, called Assembly uh, in 2018, October in Beijing. So it was a creative conference that we start and um, uh, we find a very nice space for it. It was, uh, if you if you know about Beijing, there are a lot of uh, a traditional courtyard, like a very traditional way of uh, Chinese um, um, housing or, or, or or drill, drilling uh, um, establishments. So we we have the um, we have the uh, privilege to to use one of the space redesigned by the Japanese architect uh, Kengo Kuma. It's a converted wow. uh, yeah Japanese courtyard. Uh, I mean um, Chinese courtyard, very beautifully done. And um, we also for this event we also work with DC so to try to create already a global audience around uh, make noise in, in in the design industry. So it was a three days program, and uh, we have invited a studio drift from Amsterdam and um, based upon from London and uh, to join our local speakers, the local speakers including. Uh, designers, architects, uh, artists, um, people from uh, real estate development or tech companies, so on, to have a very mixed and very um, dynamic uh, um, mixed of minds to discuss about challenges and opportunities the creative industry has uh, at the moment in China and also the possibility to generate more um, cross-cultural collaborations in China. And also abroad, so that was like the initial conversation we had. And um, last year we collaborate with uh, Design Shanghai. Um, they are now one of the most influential um, design fairs in in China now. And uh, we curated the one day talk program with them, uh, which uh, involved uh, young creative um, entrepreneurs and business leaders um, around China to enrich the conversation and uh well we have uh, we're very lucky and we had very well response and through all these events and and, and talks and program we, we did um became even more obvious that uh, this kind of exchange and this kind of opportunities is really needed not only in china but also for the global community yeah. too so yeah, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, uh, we had to can cancel everything we planned already for the first half of the year. Yeah. I think it's the same same situation for you guys. And uh, yeah, let's see what uh, we can do in the second half of 2020. It's interesting yeah. because to summarize, this, if I got it right, the collective contemporaries is like a kind of uh, cultural mediators between two worlds to let 
each other of the two understand the other one. You don't work only in one direction. I mean, to, to yes. drag uh, people to China, but also to let the other side of the world to understand what the real China is. Exactly. It's beautiful. It's uh, an introduced subject of a question that I have for you later on because it's very interesting. Um, how did you decide to enter the, the, and what developed really? What was the, the engine that started your passion for design, lifestyle? It's a journey, it's a development. So I, I won't say I born with the interest in design and art. It's, it's definitely not like that. And um, well, I always like art of beautiful things and designs and so on. Um, and um, I, sat, I studied journalism and uh, graphic design in university. And I don't know why, but I always had that this dream of working in magazines. So at the very beginning, I, I knew that I will be working as a journalist or, or writer or editor already. And um, after graduation, I got my first internship in Taipei to be an editorial assistant of... Um, very good, but they don't exist anymore. It's, it's an independent uh, fashion lifestyle magazine. So that's how I entered the, the media world. And I think um, through that uh, job and experience, it um, uh, gave me the opportunity to start exploring design and lifestyle and fashion in a more cultural context. And um, I did that job. I stayed in, in Taipei for about two years. And then I returned to Hong Kong to start working for my favorite magazine, basically. Uh, it's called The City Magazine in Hong Kong, as, and I start writing. And um, the editor at that time, he gave me a lot of freedom. So he let me explore areas or things that I like. And of course, I well, very, very naturally, I, I dive into design and, and, and interior and architecture. And... Um, and also through that job, I got the um, opportunity to start traveling for my work to everywhere. So it was like, I still feel very lucky for that. And I remember the first um, work trip I took to Europe was a visit to um, Ben and Officer's headquarters in Denmark. And there's like a eye-opener. I mean, Denmark is one of the most important uh, design capital origins in, in the whole contemporary design history. And I think from then on, I think um, beautiful things are very addictive. I mean, the more you see, the more you know, the more you want to see, you never want to stop. And I think through my work, very luckily, very fortunate, I always have the chance to talk to beautiful minds, amazing creative, like people in the top of the industry, and I think um, I always also have, um, I always like to learn what things work and how things is done or what th how things are created. So I always have this idea of what make good design or what make a good uh, culture. So this is always like the, the topic of like where my curiosity is. So, and again, I mean, the more you know, the more you want to know. So I think that's how it keeps me moving because yeah you never you, you you never learn enough you never know enough so you want to learn more and yeah, yeah i think that's my passion <laughs> <laughs> and i i think that after so much experiences that you have accumulated uh 
more and more you're maybe also the luxury of being selective very selective in the collaborations that you established mm-hmm. and how do you choose how do you choose them i always have been very uh, fortunate that i always have the freedom to say or can make a decision of like the subject or content or or, or persons i want to research about or I want to study about and I always pick my subject um, for my work, for my writing. And I think for collective contemporaries, I think I won't say I choose my collaborations, but I think the the relationship comes naturally and grow uh, in time as well. So a lot of people I've worked with are people I've known for a long time. I've been following their work from the very beginning of their career, and yeah, I think it's also important for me to truly understand their work and their thinking, their way of working, their philosophy, what they believe before I propose something to them. And I think it's also um, it's also my responsibility too as a journalist or as a communicator that I have to truly stand behind the concepts that I want to communicate or want to spread to my audience or my clients, so to say. Yeah, I think um, I don't choose them, but I think the the relationship or the or the idea the, um, comes in time. So, for example, you talk about Studio Drift. So yeah. uh, I actually knew Nonica and Ralph in Dubai. It was yeah, we met. We actually met in Dubai, and it was um, and I think that was two thousand twelve. It was the first edition of Design Days Dubai, and they were invited uh, to the fair to to be a featured designer. They they create a beautiful shine light piece and show announced in, in in Dubai, and I was there as a journalist. So we started talking, and and then that's how how we met. And then of course we both live in Amsterdam. Then we have a lot of chance to to hang out, to exchange, and what I think is very fascinating and i'm very happy to see how they grow as as a practice and as artists and i think what's um, so fascinating for me about their work is they're always testing and examining and and experiencing experimenting the relationship between human beings the nature and technology and um, I think very often we think that uh, technology is driving us away from la- nature and human connection, but through through their work, you actually understand that it's the opposite. I mean, technology is helping us to get back to the nature, to develop even closer connection with people. So I think that's a very interesting and very in- innovative and it can be a very strong uh, a message for the world as well. And I think everything they do, like sculptures or installation or performance, they're always so poetic and so precise. And I think that's quite unique in the industry. So, yes, I said, Lonika came to um, Beijing with us for, for the assembly launch in, in Beijing. And then um, another example is... Um, uh, new tendency. I don't know if you know of them from Berlin. Uh, it's no. a creative studio. Yeah, it's a creative studio and also a furniture brand. So um, Manuel Gola, the creative director of the studio, he came to Shanghai last year to join our program with uh, Design Shanghai, and um, 
Yeah, the, his work is very well re- received in in China, and last year was the hundredth uh, anniversary of Bauhaus um, movement, and yeah, it, it's a very it's a very well received and very uh, appreciate uh, a movement or, or or style in in China too. I also follow their work since the very beginning of their career, and I think what uh, was fascinating or what uh, what I like about their work is that. They are very traditional in a way because they they base the philosophy and and thinking on the Bauhaus school, the Bauhaus study, and um, but they are using very contemporary language and and methods to create pieces that we use, we can use in daily life now, and um, they are always very precise, very clean lines and function function based. Everything is just so perfect and so German in a way. And that's uh, what I like about it. So now we're planning more events and activities in in China together to try to help them to launch the brand in China as well, to find the right audience. And to, I think, um, also as a young practice, I think their experience and their knowledge or their insight in the global design industry would be very beneficial to the local designers in China as well. Just uh, what we're trying to do to, to... to share experience and to create uh, opportunities of collaborations as well. Interesting that uh, it's very much also related to the human and personal connections, the human beings which is uh, involved in the business. Interesting. Um, You have um, anticipated a a thing that I wanted to ask you uh, about the Bauhaus, or you mentioned Mm -hmm. the Bauhaus. Bauhaus. Um, One of the pillars of the Bauhaus and maybe the most famous point was that the design, so that the shape, the form, is a direct connection of the function of an object, of a product. Mm -hmm. Uh, The world has changed uh, in the meantime, in 100 years, and now we cannot deny that a product is also uh, made up based on a trend. And I don't mean it in a negative way. A trend is also a cultural layer which is added to the product and it is about what the, the product speaks about values materials not just about uh, the being a, a nice object but even the con the cultural contents of an object do you see anywhere in the world uh, the rise of a new trend now yeah that's a very difficult question because for me um i'm i think I, i'm always quite critical when it comes to something designed with purely only about fashion or trend and I think um, good design should always be functional. Good design always try to solve problems around us in our life and of course there are a, a huge spectrum between design and art and more expressive design that's more inclined to the art direction but I think that's uh, a well, as you know, art and design, the, the boundaries is become less and less obvious now. So I don't against that um, designers are, are more expressive and, and so on. But for, for me, when I look at design, I, I, I try to understand the context of the idea. I try to understand, I want to understand why and how they, they uh, reach to the a conclusion of that shape or, or of a function or object. So I, I guess, especially at um, this point of 
time, I think, I think, especially if you think、uh, we're actually facing a very urgent、um, environment challenge, and we have a lot of environmental issues that we should、uh, look at at the moment. You name it, a design which has contest or, or have a function of solving problem is even more important than ever. Also, because it's a universal threat. I mean, if you're, it doesn't matter if you're in Europe, if you're in the Middle East or in Asia, you're facing the same、uh, crisis and problem. And I think、um, the pandemic is is a very good wake up call because. I think in the past couple of months,、uh, people in the industry, designers or, or brands or companies, they start thinking, they start realizing how ridiculous we have been in terms of overproducing and overconsuming and not really uh, uh,、um, concerning or putting effort in in changing the future for the better. And I think、um, a lot of designers, no matter they are based here or they're based in Asia. Everyone is trying to rethink their practice and how to stay relevant to the world through their work and what can, they can contribute、uh, to to a better future. And I think、um, if if we would talk about trend or or, or or concept or idea now, I think this should be the central topic or central concern from now on for every designer or every creator. In the industry, it is、uh, very much shared that opinion among、uh, even entrepreneurs, even uh, uh, art directors, uh, architects, uh, people that we spoke、um, in the past couple of months in, during the interview. That this is a crucial、uh, subject, absolutely, to be now at the very center, not just on a side of the conversation. It must be、um, speaking about again design. I'm curious to know your opinion about it being a bridge between two cultures, between two worlds in the Western world. And speaking about especially product design, there is a perception that maybe is a misperception of China being, despite the millenary culture,、uh, very refined of arts and craft, being in the last twenty, thirty years, forty years. Just a followers, no longer a creative laboratory, but just a followers like a gigantic factory that produces copies of what someone else, somewhere else, has thoughts. Listening to you now, I feel there is a misperception because there is a lot of creativity and originality going on there as well, right? Yeah, so I think that there are still many assumptions and biases towards the the industry, the creative industry, and production industry in China, and I think、uh, this is a result partially coming from general generalizing the situation, and、um, people don't actually know, so they don't get the update or the current situation or development、uh, coming from China. So I think it's also. A lack of transparency and lack of knowledges around the、uh, around the world that、uh, give this kind of assumption still, but I think、um, so. Let's say so. Going back a little bit to the beginning of the、uh, coronavirus outbreak in Europe, I think beginning of 
March or mid of March. Um, if you remember, there the was the starting of the conversation that uh, of this discussion that if we should uh, proceed with um, design week, if we should keep uh, Salone the mobile, or we yeah. should uh, cancel it. And I think that's a very interesting uh, uh, um, moment as well because. I think one of the very main concern of the whole cancellation of how how the industry will proceed in the coming month was that because of the complete lockdown in China, a lot of our factories doing our furniture prototyping, our production, and the main um, material suppliers from China are all shut down. So no one is working. So basically, the whole supply chain was stopped and, and, and it was broken so the conversation was also that not only because of the situation of the pandemic but also the the industry couldn't really process because um according to uh, um, a report from mckenzie in 2019 um chinese factory accounts for 26 percent of the world production in the uh, furniture businesses so even though if you don't agree with the way they're creating or you see still a lot of problem in copying or, or, or that i mean china still play a very decisive role in the whole industry and i think this has to be um uh, see in a positive taken in consideration for sure yeah and um yeah as i said uh, there are not a lot of um channels or platform for us to talk about chinese design yet and um yeah and actually this year i was helping some of the designers they they had planned to show in salona de mobile so there are actually seven very bright and young designers and brands from china planned to showcase in 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 uh, milan this year and um maybe i can take the opportunity to to introduce them as well so um there are a couple of them uh, they plan to launch their their work and the studio in salone satellite and uh, this include uh, Bamboo Studio, Sean Liu, and uh, Chu Studio, and also industrial designer from Hangzhou, Mario Choi. He's planning his second solo exhibition in Totona after the okay. very, uh, yeah, after the very well received uh, debut he had last year. Um, and also then we have the research-based uh, Pinboo Studio that plans to sh um, showcase or, or to to um, uh, sh show the research uh, study, latest study about Chinese uh, craftsmanship, how they can um, uh, survive in this uh, contemporary contest and what they can make out of it and to contribute to the um, international um, industry. And then we also have uh, Chen Min, also from uh, Hangzhou. He's a um, furniture designer and the finalist of the Lueve uh, Foundation Craft Prize in 2018. And then uh, finally, we have a Beijing-based uh, furniture brand called Fenji. It's a very, they do very high quality handmade wooden furniture in, in China. But um, for, for now, they're only catering the local market, but they have the plan to showcase in Milan this year as a celebration of their 10th anniversary and to launch the, the idea and concept internationally too. And of course, unfortunately, Unfortunately, there's no um, Milan Design Week anymore. And yeah. I think as everyone else in the industry 
they're trying to find a new way to communicate their work and try to find new way to connect with a global audience. And um, I think, of course, it's the same. The situation is the same for this group of uh, young designers in China. And I think, um, yeah, give them. Well, the positive thing is that uh, now they have uh, a bit more time to prepare for next year. So let's yeah. uh, hope that we can all see their work next year. Yeah, together. we hope so. Uh, look, Yoko, when you move back and forth from Amsterdam and uh, Hong Kong and China, what is in your, let's say, cultural uh, luggage that you move from one side to the other of the world? Or in other words, what is still for you strange that you see as Asian in Europe and strange now that you live in Europe as a European in Asia? Yeah, that's, well, in a, in a literal sense, if you ask me, well, every time I come back from Asia to, to Europe, I bring a full, full luggage of everything, like food from China, I have cosmetics from South Korea, I have magazines from Japan. Like, I, I literally bring a lot of things uh, with me back to Europe. And surprisingly, if you think that, well, I mean, now you can get everything everywhere around the world. I'm sure in Dubai you can get really nice uh, Italian food and, and all that. Yeah, uh, sure. that you eat. But still, there's something you want to have it with you physically when you go back. Yeah. From from your hometown, so um, yeah, that's a, in in a literal sense was in my suitcase. I always try to be open and uh, completely uh, transparent about my experience I have in Europe or my experience and my knowledge from China to try to share and um, to discuss openly with any side of of the world to to try to encourage more conversation and um, um, yeah collaborations you spoken about uh, uh, innovation a lot about the innovation and uh, about tradition to the courtyards in uh, in uh, Beijing what's the relationship in design mm -hmm. between innovation and tradition in uh, in China now among the new generations, among the upcoming generation of designers. Uh, the tradition is forgotten and they are pointing just to the future. They are trying to make an effort to mix the two things. I think um, tradition will never go away. Tradition is how you grow up, how, I mean, traditions and cultures are the tools you you try, you, you have to relate yourself to the world and to 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 other peoples as well. But, and, but I think... Um, in a, in a Chinese context, I don't think uh, innovation is in contradiction to traditions in any sense. So I can give you some very good examples in the past couple of months to, to, to show you how innovations and technology is part of people's life and how, uh, how, how they help the people in China to get over this very difficult time. Like two weeks into the coronavirus outbreak, um, there is like a new health cook system. I don't know if you have heard about it. So launched uh, firstly in Hangzhou. Like uh, Hangzhou is the national center of the internet uh, industry in China. So it's, um, it's a health cook system. Um, the government developed with the help of uh, Ant Financial. 
sister company of the e-commerce giant um, Alibaba. So they developed this uh, health code to so citizens are obliged to to register uh, with their um, digital wallet to get this code, and then that code will tell you if it, you're in the risk of coronavirus contagious area or if you are required to be quarantined or if you're safe to travel from A to B. So it's a very clear and very efficient system to give people a real-time warning and information about about the uh, pandemic situation. And I think with that, well, we can all see the results. Um, I mean, the virus is contained in China very well uh, um, until now and um, also there's another um, Hangzhou-based e-commerce giant called NetEast. They work with the authority, local authority, to develop the um, internet system to secure a mask for all the citizens in 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 Hangzhou and later in the country. So, because as I said, uh, Hangzhou is the national capital. Technological, of, uh, yeah. Yeah. So this kind of social program can be very easily um, executed and implemented throughout the, the whole country. And of course, they are like, uh, well, people, of course, concerned about privacy or, or social security, all sorts of things. But I think uh, that we have to like uh, to discuss uh, very separately. And um, another example is uh, DJI, is the drone company based in um, Guangzhou. And uh, throughout the pandemic time, they, they used the drone and they used the system to to enforce the social security measures throughout uh, different cities to, for example, to broadcast information, to spread um, these events, to, to clean up the street and to test uh, people's uh, board temperature. So, and, and you can see them and also, as we, we talk about at the very beginning of uh, uh, um, uh, our chat, that uh, people are actually using a lot of WeChat and all this online um, shopping uh, delivery services to help them to get through this uh, difficult time. And I mean, if you look at the numbers or if you look at the trends, there's like TikTok is like striving in the past couple of months yeah. because people need to be entertained entertained in a, when they're yeah. at home, they're staying at home. So you can see technology and innovation and all this uh, digital means it already a very core part of um, people's daily life in China. And I think um, this trend or this development will not stop. I think this will only be more and more important in their life. And But I, yeah, going back to your question, I don't think it has anything to dual contradict with the tradition. The contrary of, uh, of tradition, the two things they can live together without any problem. Absolutely. We are talking a lot about uh, now, and you are an example of uh, uh, cultures, mixing cultures. Uh, do you think that the mix of different cultures and point of views and uh, they could be a barrier to the creation and to the security of uh, a, na a national identity in a country mm -hmm. or they are just a positive addition to the, the sparkling uh, reality? Yeah, I think um, 
I can start with my own experience. I think uh, being away from home uh, actually gave me the opportunity and the space for me to look at my own culture more clearly and with a more uh, objective eyes. And I think uh, the more different cultures and different experiences I expose myself to, I mean, the greater understanding I have developed even for my own uh, culture. And I think um, it's also give me the, the space that I need to, to see or to look at my, our own flaws. So because not, uh, there's no culture, perfect culture in the world. And I think with all this uh, experience and insight and I, I gathered in, in, my, in my time in Europe or anywhere in the world, I think it helped me to improve my own culture and help me to to do my work better as well. So I think I think that's very important, um, especially if you are in the media, if you're in creative businesses, you need this kind of mixed culture, this kind of inspiration in your work and you in your life too. And I think um, um, then I think it comes to the point that. Um, why cultural diversity is so important now. And I think, um, as, as, as we discussed just now, culture is a way of being. So it's about our collective uh, um, experience, it's about our language, it's about our uh, values, it's about a lot of other things, norms, behaviors, and uh, material subject too. So, and um, this also helps us, I think, um, Learning about other cultures or different cultures help us to understand different perspective in the world around us, and to help us to um, uh, help us to clear all the negative feelings Absolutely. or negative stereotype we have towards each other, which is I find it really unnecessary in a in a lot of sense and a lot of conflicts or or, or arguments or. Uh, unpleasant events are actually happening because we don't understand each other. And I think that's why a mix of culture or conversation or interaction between different people or different group of um, um, cultures are very important now, especially now. And um, I think, well, of course you will know because like the beautiful thing about learning other cultures is that you always get this kind of excitement and inspirations and I think uh, you also feel better fitted in the world if, uh, for example, you accept my, my culture, you appreciate my culture, you recognize my um, presence in the world. And I think this is yeah. something very special and very beautiful that we can build together. And I think from all this uh, mixed of culture, there will be more meaningful collaborations and good things happen from it. And I think if we talk about um, national identity, I think we're actually talking about what we can contribute to the world and how influential we, we can be. And I think with all, if we can pick up all the good things or the, the best values or, or best practice or, or, or a way of uh, living from different cultures and to enrich and advance our own culture and then everyone can be more can contribute more can offer more can be more influential in the world so i think when when we talk about national identity i think that's the, the value of it yeah 
And I, I agree, and it is a very positive message to spread, I think, uh, especially during uh, this time, which is quite frightening, and the people, maybe they tend to close themselves and and be afraid of others for many reasons from a, from a, from a personal point of view like of health and the culture one but i think that even the concept of culture and national identity mm-hmm. they are in continuous transformation yeah. so the yeah. contribution of each and every one always is a nice addition to the next national identity to the next culture that will define uh, China, uh, Holland, uh, Italy, as we will know it in 20, 25 years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And as as we discussed, I don't think any kind of traditions or or cultures or or practices will be gone. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think things will remain. You're, You're... What's special about one culture? What's special about the Chinese? Or what's special about Italian or Middle East um, culture? I think it will remain. It will just be a richer and richer world yeah. in the future. Everyone. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about the generalizing before the general the generalization of of the perceptions. The perception that I have, if I should step back and look at the Western world and the Eastern world. And talking about human beings, it looks to me that the Western world spins around the empowerment of the individual, which is at the center of each and every action. On the other hand, the Eastern world is more about a collective interest, so less centered on an individual human being, but more on the collective interest. Uh, Do you agree with that vision? And how does it influence in case the the, the design again and the, the culture of the people well i don't i don't think this is a key concern or entry point when we look at design or when we talk about good design is that uh, well it might influence the approach or the expression of how the designers are going to realize their concepts and ideas and but i think um so that good design should always be about solving problems and of course uh, the problems designers are facing would be very different um, for a designer living in China or for a designer living in, in Italy because their um, immediate um, surroundings or people surrounding them are different. So basically, they have to solve different problems. And I think for that, um, for that um, and also in different situations, you have different regulations or restrictions towards your design or practice or production. So, of course, all these influences will result in the final product or final design from a certain group of designers. But I don't think it comes from individualism or collectivism. I think it's about your surrounding and your immediate challenges around the designers. And of course, for art... Direct experiences. Yeah. And of course, for art, it's very different because... Art is always always about expressing yourself, expressing your own own ideas and and, and your concerns. And I mean, um, maybe well, uh, some of the artists might have the same concern as designers in community, uh, in society, or in in the economy, or or politically as well. But I think uh, the function and um, and the 
way of art are always very different from design. So I think, yeah, it's a different situation. Looking at one or the other, the answers might be even uh, slightly different. You're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, look, we have almost reached the conclusion, sadly, of our uh, conversation. And I have two personal uh, questions for you. First, the first one is uh, uh, an inspiring book that you lately had the chance to read. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a good question because uh, well, I think everyone gets quite tired and reading all the news about pandemic or the politics. Exactly. And things. So, well, I, I have just recently started two books. Uh, one is by the New Yorker journalist uh, Malcolm Gladwell. He's the, he's the author of Outliners and the Chipping Points. And this mm -hmm. new book we published, I think, end of last year is, is called uh, Talking to Strangers. How oh. do you, what should you do, know about people that you don't know? And it's, it's, yeah. um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a composition of stories of how to tell us how we misread people that we don't know, how we, we uh, make um, careless uh, assumptions or, or conclusions to things that are not familiar, familiar uh, to to us, and I think that's yeah, that's quite interesting for me as a, as a, to understand uh, what he thinks or what he find out. And um, the other one is um, I have it with me here. It's called the debate. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's also very beautiful, beautifully. Um, graphically designed book and it's about is a transcript and story around a legendary public debate happened in Amsterdam in, in 1972 um, uh, uh, by two of the most important graphic designers uh, in the Netherlands. One is Wim Crowell and the other one is Jan van Toon. And it's about the, the debate or their arguments around their work and their concept, ideas, politics, and uh, a method in creating things. So I think um, we can all get some new insights from it for the current world we, we're staying in. Very interesting. And thank you very much. We will add them to the Unplugged Booked list. The suggestions oh. for the summer. <laughs> okay. uh, the very last question is: Since we are trying with with Asian um, uh, Black to expand our boundaries uh, towards uh, the creation of a kind of lifestyle, we have created also recently. We started with uh, um, a playlist on Spotify, which is called Musica d'Arredo. And we are asking the contribution of friends with song titles. Uh -huh. I'm doing the same, the same with you. Five songs from the West and five songs from the East. Cool. So I have quite weird music taste. Mm -hmm. So I try. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, when, when I work, when I'm writing and when I, I'm doing research and so on, I, I don't like to be disturbed. So... I like to listen to very some something very minimal and very uh, clean. And uh, recently, well, not recently, but in this couple of years, I discovered a German music label called the Rasta Lotten. 
I don't know if you have heard of them. I can send you the name. And it's a label of um, of um, very minimal and experimental electronic music. So this is, I think it's helped me to concentrate and uh, yeah. clear my mind. And they work with also, they work with very good uh, sound artists and visual artists like uh, Ryoji Itkada and mm. also Karsten Nikolai. So what I actually learn about their artwork first before coming to their music. So the, the whole, and I'm a very visual person. So I always like to have a visual when I listen to something. And this is one of the recommendations. And if you're familiar with the work of the Japanese writer uh, Haruki Murakami, mm-hmm. and then you know that uh, well, he's one of the most important um, uh, uh, writer in the contemporary Japanese writing. And um, in his work, uh, jazz and classical music are very important components in all his writing. And I recently found it on Spotify. There's like a I have to read the number. There's like a 238 hour long playlist of all the music or all the songs he has he has been written mm-hmm. or discovered. Mentioned his in his in his writings and books. Wow. So there are like yeah, 3,442 songs in total. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is more than five. And then. Uh, yeah, there's a very long playlist, and then um. Or, very interesting also because I have a very young sister. She is just 20 now and she is completely into all kind of Korean pop music. So she introduced mm. all the band, boy bands and girl bands to me. And recently wrote me like the, like the current big hit is like a song from, it's like a new song from uh, Blackpink. I don't know if you have heard about them. It's like, Never. yeah, I just find this kind of South Korean pop culture. I mean, as a cultural phenomenon, I think it's totally fascinating. And different too. Yeah, <laughs> if you're for sure. Yeah. yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. We will take duly note of that and we'll add to the, the compilation. Not for sure, <laughs> the, all the 3,500 songs, but... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so thank you very much, Yoko. Uh, It's been a great pleasure and I hope uh, we didn't uh, take too much of your time. Thank you very much and I hope to see you in uh, Dubai for uh, maybe, because it might happen, the Design Week in November. Oh, okay. Yeah, it looks like uh, that is confirmed. So I look forward to see you here. Thank you so much for the opportunity and I think I, I really appreciate that what uh, you guys are doing trying to develop this kind of platform for cultural and creative exchange. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you, Yoko. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.